Welcome to The Gathering Place, a Blessed is She podcast. We're so glad you're here. Come chat with us about Jesus, prayer, community, and life. So let's get started. Hey, guys. Hey, Jenna. How are you? Couldn't be better. Really? Sitting at this table with oh, Father Mark Mary. A little bit claustrophobic. <laughs> <laughs> Father's too close right now. Father. Hi. Well, we are joined by Father Mark Mary. Hi. How are you? I'm good. Happy Besides to be back. Besides claustrophobic. Um, Father, would you mind introducing yourself in case this lovely lady. Our sweet one, listener. The one lady hasn't uh, listened to your other episodes with us. Hi, I'm Father Mark Mary with the Franciscan Friars of the Renewal and co-founder of Blessed Are We. <laughs> Come on. The new collaboration between the CFRs and the Blessed Is She team. Bonnie wow. Engstrom's into it. I think a lot of people would be into it. Just keep letting them know, Bonnie. But can I share something that I told Beth? What I didn't realize, so I was here not that long ago for my first in-person Blessed Is She performance, a recording, <laughs> and I, I didn't realize that there's like a little a little hair, what do you call it? Hair. A little facial hair under my lip that hadn't been like cut for, I don't know how long, months. Okay. And I never look at myself from sure. a... A uh, profile, and then I, I was watching you could the. You see it? I didn't notice on the that. video. I was like, "What? Is, that is, what is that? Why didn't anybody tell me yeah, that was, was like happening?" Yeah, I was sticking out the whole time. And Beth's like, "Oh, I thought it was like your thing." I'm like, "No, it's not a thing. It was just <laughs> embarrassing." Ah, Sometimes when you talk, you like, you know, yeah. you like touch your facial hair, and you would like so touch you that part it. by your lip. And I was like, "Oh, that's like a thing. You know, that's his thing." I'm not gonna be like father. It's like please Gabby trim your twirling, beard. It's like Gabby twirling your hair. <laughs> father twirls that when he falls asleep. But it's so. <laughs> I didn't notice. <laughs> I, I did. It was pretty I'm it was, Sorry. It was a little. We'll a little tell gross. you next time. Thank you. You're welcome. I would not have called it gross. How, am I doing okay today? Yeah, you're looking great, Father. I Beard looks yeah, good. Thank you. I probably spend less than five seconds looking in a mirror every day, you know? Mm. So there's some downside to that. Do you not brush your teeth in front of a mirror? I brush my teeth. Or are you only brushing your teeth for five seconds? In where I live, we don't actually have a mirror in the bathroom where the sink is. Okay. The one that I use. You guys. Brother Jose told Lucy that he sleeps on a mat. Mm-hmm. I was like, Lucy, should we send him something? Like, I don't know. <laughs> what do you think he wants? I think it was Sienna, actually. She's like, well, he has enough rosaries. He's wearing one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he does. He has enough rosaries. I was like, what could we send him? Like a pillow or? Did you have an idea? No. A mattress? I feel like she said something, but now I forget. But if we sent a mattress, would someone use it? No, 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 no. We, we, no, we have extra mattresses. Okay. Just some of us choose not to use the mattress. Oh, I see. Yeah, okay, yeah. okay. So okay. if you want to, like the what our rule says, the friars sleep on a mattress on the floor. Okay. So that's like kind of like standard, but it, you can get permission to use something less if you need less. I see. But you have pillows? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And is that like a, are you making like a conscious sacrifice or offering is that like for someone something oh, in particular is that just to like discipline yourself the idea the sort of value that's in our constitutions is that the friars are to be content with the minimum necessary not the maximum allowed for some of us like if you don't need a mattress you don't have back issues whatever mm -hmm. like mm -hmm. and you can still be okay you can still sleep whatever like okay well, well that's like kind of go lean towards the minimum necessary. These little little components of um, little sacrifices, little penances like that are, are deeply entwined in our whole life. That's the idea. Mm -hmm. It's like we're not trying to get super, like we're not typically uncomfortable, but we're never really like particularly comfortable. Like we don't have sofas, right? So like sitting on a wooden chair, it's like, okay, this is fine. Like I'm not in pain, but it's not like sitting on like a lazy boy. 
That's and, why we have these chairs, actually. Uh-huh, just, for just, just, uh-huh, just, just for you. Just for us of, to... Yeah, that's what we're going for, too. Yeah. This is part of the... The minimum I, mean, I heard necessary. this was one of the commitments of being a part of Blessed Are We, is mm. you only use wooden chairs in your house. <laughs> that's it. So it's not that like every time I go to bed or wake up, I'm like, okay, I'm sleeping on this mat for this person. But the whole thing is like for the world. Just like... And sometimes there life. are particular intentions, like Mondays. Okay, first of all, you have a book coming out soon. Correct. Can you tell us what it's called? Father, congratulations. Thanks, Beth. It's called Habits for Holiness. I love that name. First mm-hmm. book. Kind of scary. First of many. Per, Lord, I mean, hear our prayer. In Jesus' name. <laughs> I would never have thought I was going to do one, mm-hmm. but this one essentially made it very easy. So the idea of doing another one isn't out of the question. Yeah. So it's not that intimidating at this point. It's really cool. I can't wait to read it. I can't wait for you to read it. Here either. it is. Right here. We're going we're gonna to put it right here. Perfect. Picture of it. Sweet. Thank you. Yeah. That's not my habit on the cover. I haven't seen it. What? So okay. do we love it if it's not your habit? It's, it's a friar habit. It's just not my habit. You oh, can't tell. That's the whole thing. It's not about me. It's not me. It's us. It's the we. It's I love it. the patrimony I've received from the friars. Mm. Is there a subtitle? Small right. Steps for a Big Spiritual Growth, I think is the subtitle. What? I love that me title. Me too. Okay. Question in regards to the book. Yeah. Do you talk about this? Is this called asceticism? Yeah. Is that what that would be? Yeah. The concept of the book is this. It's like crazy world. Crazy world. We're all feeling it. And it can be super intimidating. And um, just to, to communicate like both the grace of hope, but also like pra- like a practical hope, right? Mm. Like theological, spiritual hope, but also practical hope. And, mm. and the whole story of the friars essentially is living in kind of really kind of at least starting like a really chaotic place. In the South Bronx at the time, it was called Fort Apache because it was like a war zone. It's like it was just wild then. Mm. It's like, okay, here's like a crazy world. If you do some basic steps, some small things, and you just do it consistently, like you can follow Jesus and you and, a, and your family can follow Jesus no matter what else is going on. And so it's kind of responding to that offering like some really super practical, like first, like it's all, it's really, really just about like, here's how you can begin. Baby steps, first steps, stuff like that. For us, it began in the South Bronx when it was literally called like Fort Apache. But like if you, most people, when we look at the world, we're like, it feels like a war zone yes. and we feel powerless before it and we feel uh, tempted towards discouragement. It's like, no, like the friars been doing this us for 35 years, historically for 800 years. Like the church has got this. Let's talk about it. You know, so that's the idea. There's three chapters talking about uh, living out the baptismal roles or charisms of being priest, prophet, and king. And so we, we talk about the penitential, the sacrificial aspect of it under our priestly identity, the priestly identity of the baptized, which is to make sacrifices. And the power wow. of that. I'm not good at making sacrifices. You're probably better than you think. Your life is a sacrifice, Jenna. But when I try to think to myself, I'll stop doing this for blank. It doesn't ever last. What if it was more concrete? Tell me more. There's two proposals of how you can do it concretely. One would be, I call it the life novena. Okay. So for the next nine days... I'm just going to live with all of like the little sacrifices and like annoyances that happen. I'm going to offer all of this up. All that comes with being a mom and a wife. I'm going to offer all of this up for this intention. And you just kind of give God permission. And when things go wrong and whatnot, you just, okay, I offer this to you. So you don't actually have to change anything. Nine days. Oh, Maybe that'll amazing. be the second novena I ever complete. All you have to do is say, I'm going to offer up. All of the annoyances for the next nine days. I'm just going to offer up. I'm basically, it's a life. That's why I call it life novena. I love that. Everything I Did do. you make that up? Yeah. That's amazing. Gold. <laughs> Thank you. 
<laughs> it works though. It's really deep. It's really, I mean, it really does work. Is that in the book or is this? It is in the book. Yeah, wow. that's, oh. that's also in the book. Wow. I thought exclusive. this might be a gathering place exclusive. No, but... I'm sorry. Okay, <laughs> and the, well, you had another tip. The second one would be um, for a particular intention. Again, mm -hmm. like making one very small and concrete sacrifice for an extended period of time, probably like six months. And so that would be like for the next six months, I'm not going to have dark chocolate. I'm not going to buy like a fancy coffee. And so, or, or something even maybe more basic than that. The, the, like it can't be crazy. It can't be super intense. Mm. Just like this small little thing. And you offer that for, for a particular attention for an extended period of time. And I've just seen a ton of grace from that as well. It's really cool. So the idea is just to be very specific and concrete. And that helps us. Part of the, the hypothesis of the book and just my work as a priest is that we don't have a sincerity problem, but we have a, stra a strategy problem. Mm. And so part of the difficulty of offering up these things isn't that you're not sincere. It's just like sometimes the work of figuring out what it can look like can be enough of an obstacle to keep you from doing it. Yeah. My whole life is not a sincerity problem. It's a strategy problem. <laughs> totally. <laughs> yeah, that's very I funny. have a, a little bit of a fear. Uh, I'm not saying the right word. But I have a little bit of a blank of like, I can say that in my head, right? Like, Lord, okay, I'll do this. But until I actually commit either to someone, whether that be my spiritual director, where I've actually like, now I have to do it, right? Because someone outside of myself is, knows about it. Or I like write it down in my prayer journal. I love to, to journal in prayer. But I have like a fear of really letting the Lord down, which I think is where my like lack of wanting to do resolutions is, is if I do this and let you down, like that feels really crappy. Mm -hmm. You know, I don't know. That sounds really simple, I guess, but it, I, I think I feel it very deeply. Mm -hmm. And I have like a fear of making a resolution that I can't stick to. And it, like, I don't like that. I think, I think um, Father Innocent at the mission was talking about, no, Father Mark Mary, it was you talking about always wanting to do things that you were good at. Mm -hmm. Was that you or Father yeah, that Innocent? Was me. It was yeah. kind of both of us. Okay. <laughs> I was the one who kind of was more specific. You about said it, it two yeah. nights ago, right? Yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. And I think that's a thing for me is I really only like to be involved in something that I'm going to excel at and do really well. Anyway, I don't know what that is. That might be an invitation to listen to the first week of Lent Poco a Poco podcast. Okay. <laughs> Great. Lent in the series, because that's sort sure. of what it's about. Okay. Other than that, I think that this is why I, I'm like, I feel super strongly about this is when we make sacrifices, especially like bigger things or consistent things, you want to bounce it off somebody else who's mm. like trusted. It doesn't have to be a spiritual director, but some sort of mentor, somebody you trust is really important mm -hmm. because for example, if you like say, I'm going to do this super hard thing that you're not actually gonna be able to do, it can be very hurtful. Mm. And so often what we do in our spiritual direction or mentoring, things like that is like, usually we start small. If you're whatever it is, so you're going to eat bread, you're going to only have like bread, bread and water for all of Lent. It's like that compared to I'm not going to have chocolate chip cookies for Lent. It's not like your little sacrifice is so powerful just on your own that like it's going to change the world. All this is just loaves and fish that were given to Jesus and mm -hmm. he's the one who's making it fruitful. Yes. And so what's most important is obedience. Okay. What's most important is obedience. And the Lord really... He looks upon the widow's might, right? Like he really, he really deeply values sincerity of gift if it's the best you can do. But it takes humility to be willing to make just a small sacrifice for Jesus because that's as strong as you are. It's a powerful gift. I think it's a natural thing to think like I'm going to sacrifice spending this time and actually like loving people outside of myself. 
Great. serving people outside of myself. Beth, tell us about your strategies and your resolution. Well, as you were talking about like submitting our sacrifices and fasting to someone else, I was thinking about, I had this mentor a couple of years ago. I had just undertaken something like in prayer with a lot of sincerity. Basically, I was, I stopped eating meat like one day a week for this particular intention. And I felt like that was very concrete. It helped me to pray more consciously for that intention. So then I just got a little wild and I was like, well, I really want to be praying regularly and intensely for these other things as well. So it started small. It started with one day a week, but then it was up to like, I was basically just being a vegetarian. <laughs> I didn't think much of it, but when I mentioned it to this mentor, she was like, stop doing that. She's Well, first she asked like, how's that going for you? And I'm like, well, just don't eat a lot or... Anyway, I was just running into like a lot of problems, but like the sincerity was there and the prayer was there, but it wasn't super practical. I don't know that it was a ton of striving. It just wasn't a good fit, Mm. like at that time in that season. Anyway, so she had me pivot and essentially do what you were suggesting about a life novena that like you're already praying in all of these ways. Why not just offer that thing that you're already doing Mm -hmm. with more intentionality? Yeah, or being led and being obedient, being shepherded is like very deeply part of our Catholic spirituality, right? It's just dangerous to do things on our own. Mm -hmm. Totally. It's just too easily for us to get deceived. And I think there's like some classic, what is the the line? Like he who is his own spiritual director has like a fool for a spiritual director or something like that. That's, I think that's, I think it's from church fathers. It's not, that's not verbatim, but that's the concept. Yeah. Cause it's so easy to kind of fool ourselves yes and so that doesn't have to be a priest or some other spiritual director it can be husband wife trusted friend but it is really good to just bounce some of this stuff that that little act of humility and vulnerability of bouncing some of this stuff off other people there's at least one person mm-hmm. it keeps us from getting weird going rogue yeah yeah you don't want to do that well father i'm really glad that you're here because i think you offer a really beautiful just perspective by your life, uh, your charism as a Franciscan, in how you live your life with the poor and offer yourself in a really unique way that a lot of us, you know, aren't doing with our lives. We're not living a life like yours. But I think there's so much value and obviously beauty in the life that you're living. And something that I've always kind of struggled with when people say things about Jesus loving the poor and giving himself to the poor and like being for those on the margins, I don't know how to practically do that other than like advocating for people, doing what I can for those like on a street corner. But if I want to live my life and look as much like Jesus as I can and as much as I let him change me, how do I do that? Tell me what Jesus looked like because I want to look like him. You know what I mean? Yeah. I'm not going to let you off the hook of something that you inferred. Sure. Which you already know. I've said this a number of times. Pretty much I say this every platform I get, especially to moms. Because you talked about like how you love the poor and do this stuff. And so do you. Yeah. Corporal works of, of mommy. We've talked about this. Since I've been here, you have been feeding the poor and clothing the naked. And you've literally welcomed the stranger into the world for their whole lives yeah so moms who are doing this are that's what it looks like now for outside of that 
and I think I so will just say that like that is a necessary part of the church's work towards, if you will, the peripheries or to the poor is really deep, faithful care for sacrificial care for children. Mm-hmm. God sees that, and that's like a huge gift. Mm-hmm. And it's even somewhat, it's even more of a gift because it's not fancy and it's so kind of ordinary or consistent. There's not a lot of like documentaries made about moms changing diapers, you know? Yeah. And, but there are about like friars living in tough neighborhoods or whatever. But the Lord, He sees that and He, mm-hmm. he receives that. So our series here, right? It's on evangelization. And for years, I think that must be, I must be like a rebellious thing I have going on. I've struggled with the word evangelization or mm-hmm. our use of it, but it's like deeply in our tradition. So you can't really mess with that. You kind of just got to receive it. But the, the, the reason I kind of struggle with it is it, it can, it can be a little flat or a little bit of an abstraction. And like evangelization is first and foremost, the invitation to all Christians to share in the life and mission of Jesus. It's not program, it's not talk, it's not mm-hmm. a series. Evangelization is allowing the life of God to flow in your veins and to pour out in your life and to like radiate from your life. That's what evangelization is first and foremost about, right? As the Father has sent me, so I send you. And so it can't be compartmentalized to one particular component of our life or of our discipleship. As I think as you had with Father Innocent, like he talked about like prayer and holiness and intimacy with the Lord as an essential component of evangelization, 100%. But also, like part of that is going to be the church's call to the fringes and to the poor, um, because that is that's really, really, really has kind of a privileged place in the life of Jesus, right? And and Jesus comes, and what is the mission of Jesus that we share? And as the Father has sent me, so I send you. He's come to reveal to the world the Father, and in revealing the Father to the world, like those who have seen me have seen the Father, in revealing the Father to the world, He's revealed that we have a Father who hears the cry of the poor. We have a father who loves us, who sees us, who cares about our concrete concerns. And so the church and Christians must, if we're gonna, if we're gonna proclaim to the world the fullness of Jesus, and and by proclaiming the fullness of Jesus, the fullness of the Father, care for and love of the poor and the disenfranchised and those on the fringes has to be a part of our mission. But it's not always easy, right? Correct. Correct. I think to place it and anchor it deeply in our tradition is I my go-to is Galatians 2.10. Let me get out my Holy Bible to anchor it in, in our tradition, I think. And in the scriptures, right, we have St. Paul. St. Paul, and St. Paul has the conversion, and, and he's doing his thing. And a few years into it, I forgot how many years it was. I think it's like nine years into it. He goes to, to Jerusalem to visit what they call the pillars of the church, Peter, James, and John, right? And so he goes, and they kind of have their conversation, check in, like, here's what I've been doing, blah, 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 this and that. And... um they basically are like, yeah, keep doing what you're doing. And this is what Galatians 2.10 says. Only we were to be mindful of the poor, which is the very thing I was eager to do. That from the very beginning, the pillars of the church, Peter, James, John, um, and St. Paul, they realized that foundational and, and um, central to, the mission, to their mission as Christians was to be mindful and to care for the poor. Because that's what Jesus taught them and that's what Jesus did. And I think this is important because we basically generally look at St. Paul as the model of evangelization in his letter writing and in his work of evangelizing. The fruits of it are the evangelization of kind of the whole world. Mm-hmm. But part of his work was always being mindful of the poor. And I think part of its efficacy, uh, the efficacy of his word and his example and his work was because he proclaimed Christ in word. He also proclaimed Christ in deed. That's for us. Mm-hmm. And as we 
look at the world and we want to to bring Jesus, often our first impulse is to do it with words and argumentation, but it might even be more strategic and effective to to found it. Like we want all. It's, we're not talking preach the gospel at all times, and it is necessary to use words, you know. <laughs> yeah. Um, but but maybe it might be a little bit easier and more accessible to start by loving the poor. But what that looks like can be a little bit scary and an abstraction, and it could lead to not a sincerity problem but a strategy problem. Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So help me with that. Like I think people believe that. You're you're a listener, our sweet listener. Mm-hmm. She's got a heart for the those who are suffering. Yes, totally. Not a sincerity problem for not sure. Not a sincerity problem for sure. Yeah. But she might not be doing it right. on a regular basis. Why do you think that is, or what what are some of those like what is yeah what do some of those obstacles look like? Any ideas? Yeah, I think many things. I feel ill-equipped. That could be in terms of time, resources, knowledge, whatever they think they have to have, they're afraid they don't have it. What would I say to them? That's good. What if something comes up and yes. I, I don't have the answer? Or what if it's awkward? I would say dangerous. Yeah. So not necessarily that it is dangerous, but the perception That's of very that. very good. Yeah. You know? So fear. I don't have the time. I don't have the money. I don't have the knowledge. I could be in danger. I'm slash I'm afraid. Yes. I think there's like a lot of fear in all of those mm-hmm. now that I'm like talking them out loud, huh? My other thing that I said to you beforehand is like, I'm praying and I'm like intimate with the Lord and I'm like talking about the Lord with my friends. So I guess lack of desire, like there is sincerity and caring, but lack of desire of practically doing it mm-hmm. is, I don't know what word that would write. You're going to scribble. <laughs> I couldn't tell what you. I'm looking word? right at it. And Apathy. I don't know. Yeah. yeah. Apathy. Good. Yeah. Really good word. I think people think like, oh, that's a whole thing. I'm going to have to get involved sign with the up. ministry. I got a lot find of hoops out, to jump gotta through. I got to find out the website and Training. then I got to sign up. And well, the, then I learn how to do it. And COVID. Yeah, this happened to me, actually. Like, I have, a, I have a real heart. I have a real sincerity for the imprisoned. So multiple times I have tried to go and do something at the jail. It's an exhaustive process. Screening, fingerprints, tour, onboarding. There's five different people from different churches who are never getting back to. This is like, very real, Beth. I'm I, not even kidding. I'm serious. It was like very discouraging and just felt like ugh, there's yep. not a great strategy in order for me to get involved. Mm-hmm. Okay. So I, I think first is this, is what we're doing to come from the positive is that we're following Jesus. Yes. We mm-hmm. love Jesus. He's come to our poverty. He's come to save us. And he's, and he's revealed to us the Father. And he's revealing us to us the Father more and more and more and more. If we receive that like, out of gratitude, like we do want to share that with the world. Yes. Right? This is why this has to be a work of God and the Holy Spirit, because we need we need like a holy urgency. You yeah. know what I mean? Like, like if nothing changes, nothing changes. Like the world's like really beat up and broken. If we want to be instruments of healing of the world, like we got to actually be instruments of healing of the world. We got to do something, right? Mm-hmm. And so that's where I begin. Second is this. It's like Jesus has strong words, like Matthew 25. That's what you did for the least my brother. And you did it for me. That's yeah. what you didn't. You didn't do it for me. It's not optional. It's not optional. Pope Francis says this in Evangelii Gaudium. Like there's no one because of your state in life which doesn't have some mission mm. to the poor. Mm-hmm. Like that's just, it's, it's central to the gospel. Jesus takes it really serious. But the first sort of, I think, obstacle would be a, um, I use the word ignorance, but ignorance is a stronger word than I want to use. But just like when we talk about working with the poor, what we immediately think of is prisons, soup kitchens, corners right like 
we have people who are struggling and who are suffering and who are on the fringes who are very accessible to us. And so I think the the principle that I would encourage people to apply uh, in imitation of our Lord is is called like the creativity of love. Like when you love someone, you create time, space, opportunity to be with them. And if we want to be with Jesus in the distressing disguise of the poor, that's another way in which we're with Jesus. And we also want to be in creative and bring in Jesus to the world. And so perhaps step one could be, okay, you know what? Like let's let's take a step back from what I think look, working with the poor is supposed to look like. And are there any people in my own life that aren't part of a program, that are part of my natural relationships, the yeah. fabric of my life, who I can care for today? And so that could be, you know, making a meal for somebody who is getting, you know, special medical treatment, something like that, being available for that help out, um, offering an extra letter, kind word for somebody who just lost a loved one. Um, it can certainly be material assistance, donations, things like that. Grandma. Like grandma. Maybe grandma's a, a widow and she's kind of home alone and, and, and maybe talking to grandma isn't super exciting and maybe talking to grandma is sacrificial. But the gospel encourages us to do sacrificial things. It's founded on sacrificial love, and that's what, like, kind of, that's what love does, right? And so, and so, I think, I think, just making a list and having something like, okay, for the next three months, no, let's just try this for once. Yeah, I'm gonna, I'm gonna set the pattern. Once a month for the next three months, six months, I'm gonna call grandma, and I'm gonna do it Saturday morning, and th- I'm gonna do it between nine and ten a.m. And then you give that to your husband or your wife or your your friend or whatever. I think that that would be a great place to start. We do live in a bureaucratic world. And bureaucracy before there is relationship can often be enough of an obstacle. We can just, okay, I tried. Mm-hmm. I mean, first of all, like we want to examine that with the Lord too. Jesus loves us with a, a love which is relentless, right? And we want to love with a love which is relentless as well. Mm-hmm. Which kind of brings me to, to the next thing, which would be, so we, we've kind of talked about like a little bit of like a fear or just, I don't even know where to get started. And my, my response to that would be, okay, who in your life is suffering, struggling in a particular way, which you can reach out to today? And there's probably somebody. Go well, ahead, Beth. You came six weeks ago and I had an epiphany on this podcast when you said, the Lord hears the cry of the poor. And I realized that I am poor and that every single person I know is poor. So I think like reframing and not to say not, this doesn't excuse us from more traditional ways of living out the corporal works of mercy, but just to kind of widen the lens, like every person I know is poor. Mm-hmm. That was very helpful to me. I'm still praying with that. And I think that's, I think you, you nuanced that well, like the micro mission of church doesn't come at the cost or isn't contradictory to the macro mission. Like it's, yes. yeah, but you start where you can start. Mm-hmm. And I think that's the most important start. It's just start. So that would be the, um, whatever you want to call it, the ignorance or the sort of, the overwhelmingness of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, the second one would be apathy. And I think that's super common. That's super, super common. And I remember experiencing it very concretely when I was just getting assigned to a new work with um, like the youth center. So I was moving from one friary to another. I was at the friary with the homeless shelter, going to the friary where we work with the kids in the South Bronx. Right at this moment, when I was like, this is what your new job's going to be, the kids in the South Bronx is just sort of this abstract reality. And they're just a group of people who I don't know. I don't know their stories. I don't know their faces. I don't know their names. I can't love an abstraction. Like an abstraction doesn't draw my heart. 
But as I got to hear their stories and hear their sufferings and know their names, that now I was able to to love them and to care for them and to want to love them and care for them. And I think that's part of the struggle with when we talk about serving the poor, the church's mission to the poor, the fringes, is it's an abstract concept. Like we realize is there like we realize there's real people. For us, like the in the in Harlem where I live now, like the poor are Stephen and Carol and Joanne and Maureen and you know, like it's the poor woman who who comes to ask the blind she's our blind neighbor who came the other day and she's like, Hey, do you know how to use a cell phone? She needed to call somebody. I'm able to love her because I know her. And so I think in the face of abstraction, my encouragement would be, you know Jesus. This is what Jesus wants you to do. The poor or the prisoner or whoever that is, you don't know who they are yet, but just give it a shot. Be obedient. You know, be led into the mystery of poverty and and you'll get to know their names and you'll be enriched by their stories and their smiles and all that. So that would be my encouragement. It's like, I realize why it's hard, but give it a shot. I think you'll like it, you know? So that would be my response to, to the apathy question. Fear is a real thing. I was down in um, in Trinidad for a varsity Catholic mission trip. And one of the things we did is we went and visited basically those who were in, in, in hospice. So they're very old and many of them couldn't speak. And I don't have experience with that. Of a homeless guy, yeah, I can start up a conversation super easy. No problem at all. Just say, hey, what's going on, bro? Like, you know what I mean? Like I just have experience with it, right? Totally. But for people who don't have that experience, it's like that can be super intimidating. I don't have experience with the elderly and those who are kind of like in their last few weeks or months. Mm. And so for me, it was kind of paralyzing. I just don't know what to do. There's a lot of fear. And I remember seeing one of the students who was like 20 years old, like this is like her work. And so she has a ton of experience with it. And so she's super at home and she just goes up and she knows exactly, she's acts normal. She knows exactly what to do. Mm. She knows that from experience, right? And I didn't know it from lack of experience. But with experience comes, if you will, expertise. Like you just got to give it a shot. And again, the push comes from the gospel mandate of love. That reminded me, when I was leaving the hospital, I used to be a respiratory therapist for five years, and it was a blast. I loved it so much. I don't know, there's like something in me that just like loves hospital life. I remember when I was discerning leaving, and I was really afraid of my selfishness coming back out because in such a tangible way, I was always dealing with people who were dying and families who are watching their loved ones die. I like loved being in that and doing that work. I haven't even remembered that until you Mm. said that. Like, I remember being afraid that I would stop having a heart for that. So I think it's maybe sparking something in me. But I just also wanted to say, I do think the Lord gives us special gifts for special missions. Yeah. Um, So a, a part of something that the Lord has put in me from nature or nurture and the environment that I was in at the hospital. I've grown to love being in an environment or offering of myself in an environment like hospice or, or being in a hospital, praying with people in a hospital. And for others, it might be other mission fields, you know? Mm-hmm. I don't know. Is there an element of like trying things out and, and seeing? Sure. I think 100% the fullness of the mission of Jesus, the fullness of the heart of God is can't be contained by one human heart. He gives us all a share in the body of Christ, right? This is scriptural. And so I think, I, I do think there's a lot to, okay, just take some time, pray with the Lord. Like, who do I feel drawn to? And reverence that and respond to that and don't doubt it. 
And so if it is the elderly, beautiful. If it's not the elderly, okay. If it's to children, if it's to um, mothers in at-risk pregnancies, if it's the homeless on the corner, those who struggle with mental illness, whatever, you know what I mean? Like there's room in the church for particular desire and love. So we got through ignorance, we got through apathy, we got through first step, we got through bureaucracy. Kind of a little bit as far as like talking about, because that's one of the fears, like what do I do? How do I do it? Yeah. But I think this is one of the great joys of, right, evangelization. Sometimes it's intimidating, the concept, because like I don't have a, a master's degree or I haven't studied the catechism. I couldn't lead a Bible study. Like we can often be the consumers of other people's evangelization and we think that's our place, right? Like we're the receivers of it. But can you make a phone call? I was down in, in uh, Guatemala studying Spanish with one of the brothers. At the, I think he was he was a just becoming a, he was a seminarian about to become a, a priest. But we were walking just kind of in the kind of around town one evening because we, we had a free night. Basically, nights were free. And this one person, like one kind of guy in the neighborhood, stops us. And I'm a younger brother. He's a little bit older. And so part of the thing that happens, the dynamic, is you kind of like the younger brother kind of lets the older brother take the lead. Sure. And so this guy like starts talking and we're just there listening, 100% monologue. Like 15 minutes go by, 25 minutes go by. Wow. Just kind of sitting there, standing. And like, okay. At this time, my reaction would be like, oh, hey, you know, great, great chatting with you. God bless you. We'll see you. Maybe we'll see you around tomorrow night, whatever. And, but I was, I was kind of in the disposition of being led. And so I kept looking at him. He just kept, he was just there focused, listening 45 minutes, an hour, an hour and a half. We're just there, 100%. We're just there listening. No. 100%. We're just standing there listening to this man talk about whatever he's talking about. And so, like, I'm trying to, like, play it cool. We're, like, walking back. Don't say anything. You know, don't complain. Like, hey, yeah. I was like, that's just interesting. Like, um, I'm talking just to the brother. Like, do you ever, like, do you just let somebody talk? Like, do you ever, like, would you ever, like, stop a conversation something like that and this is his answer he's like you know bro like i just i don't really feel like i have a lot to give to people but i can listen to them that's what i do when people talk i just i just i listen to them i mean can you listen mm-hmm. can you listen because that's one of the greatest gifts you can give to somebody right it's just listening to them so that's again where i think a phone call or calling somebody who's lonely is a great place to start like do you have a phone can you dial a number can you can you listen Real okay. I realized listening for an hour and forty five minutes, whatever. Like that takes some pretty some virtue too, mm-hmm. um, and it isn't necessarily like what everyone's called to do. But um, again, if we if we take evangelization out of a programmatic thing into a relational thing, I think we realize we're much more equipped than we might think. That would be my response to that. How's that? It was so good. Totally. I'm feeling equipped. Good. <laughs> good. You are equipped. Thank you, Father. You're welcome. What's your favorite scripture of Jesus loving the poor? One that's immediately at the top of my mind. Yeah. Mark 5. Yeah. Right? The hemorrhaging woman, where the hemorrhaging woman comes, touches the cloak of Jesus or the tassel of Jesus. She's healed. And then he pursues her, right? And he, yes. and he, he needs to look at her. Mm-hmm. He needs to look at her because the work, the mission of the church isn't just healing bodies or um, filling stomachs. It's, it's looking with love. I think that's a great place to, to look, to be reminded of what loving the poor and evangelization looks like. It means stopping what you're doing and going to seek the suffering so that you can look at them with love and that they can see in your eyes the love of the Father. So there's this quote from um, Jose Maria Escrivá, and it is, to take advantage, 
at any time the inspirations of the Holy Spirit, who is the shepherd of our souls, we ought to be seriously committed to dealing with God. We cannot take refuge in the anonymous crowd. God seeks us out one by one, and we ought to answer him one by one. Here I am, Lord, because you have called me. And I've taken such comfort in the fact that I'm not one in an anonymous crowd, Mm -hmm. that the Lord sees me, that he's found me. And I just think that that's so cool to think that that's how we can be the Lord to other people too. Mm -hmm. That we can tell someone you're not one in an anonymous crowd, like you are seen, Mm -hmm. you are loved. I'm practically, tangibly loving you. You can't take refuge in the crowd of this word, of the mission to love and serve the poor, mm-hmm. right? So for our sweet listener and for each of us, like, yeah, the church has a mission to do this. Like, okay, but you can't just hide in that crowd, but like let the Lord speak to you specifically and say like you, mm-hmm. I, you, have a, you have a necessary role to play in this as well. As he loves us particularly, he calls us particularly. So good. Thank you, Father. Thanks, Father. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Always. Good to be back. Mm -hmm. Would you um, close us out in prayer, Father? Thank you, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Lord, we thank you for seeing us and for loving us and caring for us particularly and uniquely. We thank you for for being willing to be inconvenienced Mm -hmm. by our sinfulness and our need of a Savior and for taking flesh and for living this mission of seeking out the brokenhearted and restoring your kingdom and saving us. Lord, we pray that you may give us your own heart that we dare to be inconvenienced by the cry of the poor. We just give you permission to live your life through us. And we pray, Lord, for a creative spirit of love that we may, with initiative and perseverance, seek out those whom you have brought to us to care for and love and to reveal your particular love for. And Jesus, we need you, we trust in you, but we deeply desire to be your your instruments, your disciples to reveal to the world which is so in need of the light of the Father's love. Lord, we give you permission. We say yes. Be it done unto us according to your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Amen. Thank you, Father. Thank you. Thanks, Father. See you next time. See you next time. Bye now.